Let's turn to Philippians. We've been going through Philippians on Wednesday nights and sometimes on Sunday nights, and we're going to look at Philippians this morning. <clears throat> Verse 10 of chapter 4. We've all heard the story of the guy that got baptized, and just before the preacher dunked him under, he realized he had his wallet in his back pocket, and he reached and he grabbed it, and everything got baptized except his billfold. And uh, that reminds me of a lot of Baptist folks. It just seems like uh, everything got converted and everything got baptized sometimes except our attitude about giving and our attitude about money. Now, one of the reasons that Philippians was written was they had supported Paul uh, for years. Uh, they had stopped supporting him, as we'll see today, because of some situation that arose where they couldn't do it. And they had renewed that support and sent a wonderful love offering to him through one of their ministers named Epaphroditus. And Paul was under house arrest. He was a prisoner in Rome. So you know this gift uh, really was quite a blessing to him. And so throughout the letter, he is expressing his thanks for their giving and support. But here as he concludes the letter, he comes back to that and there's some wonderful principles that we can learn about Christian giving from this passage would uh, would you stand with me as we read through these verses first of all Philippians chapter 4 beginning with verse 10 but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity not that I speak in regard to want for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. And then that wonderful verse, many of us know it by heart, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distresses. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound, I am full having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit today will just really minister the word of God that he inspired to each of our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first principle <coughs> of Christian giving is that it is a blessing to the one who receives it. Later on, we'll see it's a blessing to the one who gives it. But it is certainly a blessing to the one who receives it. Look at verse 10. Paul says, but I rejoice. You find the word joy or rejoice 16 times in this book of joy, this book of Philippians. And uh, Paul already had joy. Notice the phrase after rejoice. It says what? In the Lord. 
So Paul rejoiced in the Lord regardless. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. He knew where his joy was, and it was in Jesus. But we, uh, we can add to that joy. And one thing that can add to that joy is financial support and uh, people who will minister to us in times of need. And so it calls Paul to be joyful. Uh, now, we are not to love money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we're not to serve money or make it our God. Jesus said you can't serve both God and mammon. You're going to gravitate to one or the other. But to say that money cannot be used by God to be a blessing would be a foolish statement. Um, I heard about a Texan, and uh, he owned about 10 oil wells, and he had grown up with this pastor of this county seat town church. And uh, he wanted to give some money to the pastor's church. They were in a building program. And uh, knowing the pastor a long time, he felt very casual when he called, and he said, yes, is the head hog of the trough in today. And the secretary, in a very dignified way, said, Dear sir, this is First Church. And uh, our pastor has a doctorate degree. We do not refer to him around here as a hog. He is Dr. Smith. Now, why would you like to talk to Dr. Smith? And the old Texas said, Well, I wanted to donate a million dollars to your building program. And the secretary said, Let me see if I can find that big old fat pig right now and get him on the phone with you. Money can change things and can be a blessing, but we don't love it, we don't worship it, and it doesn't give us contentment as we'll see in a moment. Notice he said, now at last your care for me has flourished. This is a word in the Greek that means like a flower blooming in the springtime. In other words, their giving had revived. Does your giving, does your Christian giving need a revival? Does it need a springtime reblooming? Well, theirs had done that. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, this is a principle, too. Uh, Paul said, I know you cared for me even when you weren't able to give to me. They started out giving to him when no one else gave to him. And uh, they were giving to him now, 10 years later. But something had happened for a period of time. They still loved him. They still cared about him. He founded the church uh, at Philippi, but they had not been giving to him. Now, isn't it interesting that it says you lacked opportunity? It doesn't tell us why. I want to know why, but I'm glad we don't know. Now, listen to me and don't make too much of this and be stingy and make excuses. There are times in a Christian's life when they really have a heart to give, but for this reason or that reason, they lack opportunity. And so what do you do? Well, our goal should be tithing and then uh, special love offerings added to that. But if you feel like you cannot because of certain financial situations and this and that tithe, uh, then give something. Give something. And pray hard about it. And I think God will open a door of opportunity. But that is a principle. And I wanted to include it. Verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to want. Oh, I love this verse. It's like an interlude here where he teaches us a quick lesson about contentment. I've never seen Christians as discontent as I see them today. And I think it's because our society is so materialistic. 
and children. I can remember my parents would scold me sometime when I would say, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. Well, there were a hundred things to do, and they let me know quickly. Some of them involved chores, and I didn't stay bored very much longer. But, uh, I mean, this nation suffers from discontentment. And you know why? Because they're looking in the wrong places. So that's what Paul is introducing here. Verse 11, not that I speak in regard to want. Now, he was blessed by their gift, but he was saying, I don't have to have your gift to be full and to have purpose and to have meaning in life. For I have learned, let me tell you about contentment. It is a learned thing. It doesn't come overnight. I, I think I've learned a lot more about it than I knew about it when I was a kid being bored, but I'm still learning about how to be content. Notice, he had learned, it's a process, in whatever state I'm in, someone said, even the state of Mississippi, of course the state of Mississippi. Actually, the Greek here says, in whatever circumstances I'm in. Now, that's a big statement. Well, would that mean when he was sick? Yep. Would that mean when he was feeling good and well? Yes. Would that mean when he had plenty? Uh, would that mean when he had a little? Yes. Wow. Would that mean when he was going to school and had a teacher he just couldn't stand? Yes. Uh, would that mean when he had a job that he really didn't like and didn't like the person that was over him? Yet, whatever circumstances, I've learned through a process to be content, to have a peace and satisfaction and sufficiency in my soul. I know how to be a base. This is the word for humility. It means to have little and I know how to abound. There was time when Paul had plenty. Do you know sometimes it's hard to be content when you have plenty than when you have little? You know why, don't you? Because you keep thinking, well, wow, if I, I can afford this new toy. I can afford this new house. And you keep thinking, oh, I'll get this and be content. And you won't be. Now, sometimes when you're kind of poor, you just don't have any other way to look but up to Jesus. And guess what you discover? He's all I need. Just like the folks that are lonely. Sure, they hurt from that loneliness. But they are discovering something. They're discovering they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. And that is the key to contentment. He goes on to say, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. And here's the key to contentment. Verse 13, that well-known verse. I can do all things. Now, that doesn't mean... All things, including things outside the will of God. It includes within the will of God. If I suddenly said, I can fly, folks, and got on top of this building and jumped off and waved my hands, you know what? Boom, the law of gravity would bring me back down because that wouldn't be God's will. But when he says, I can do all things, that means if God allows me to be widowed, if God allows me uh, to have little, if God allows me to have a lot, if God uh, allows uh, for some unforeseen reason that I have cancer, uh, if God does it and I stay well physically and feel good till I'm 100 years old, Paul said, I have learned the secret of contentment and that is that I can face it and face it with meaning and purpose through Christ. The Greek indicates who literally infuses his strength into us. Stay in a close relationship with Jesus 
and stay in humble dependence upon him. And he will give you contentment. It's a wonderful thing to have. I'm still learning it, but uh, I'm learning more about it than I've ever known before. And it's a wonderful thing. All right, let's get back to giving. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. It's a good thing when you give. Uh, you do well when you give. Verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, that was the first church Paul founded when he went to Macedonia. And when he departed from there, no church shared with him except them. There's a consistency that ought to be characterizing our giving. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. We need to be consistent in our giving. Some people give once a month, and I'm not going to knock that. The Bible doesn't say you can't do that. Uh, I like to give once a week. And, uh, you know, I thought, because I usually bring my offering to the 830 service, I thought at times, well, Jack, the folks will think you're, you're being showy. Why don't you just go in early and put it in the offering plate? And then I said, no, I'm not going to miss the blessing. It's a worship experience. And I don't care what you think. I don't want to miss out on that blessing of giving. It's a praise to the Lord. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift of Paul's letting them know. I'm no charlatan. I don't minister for money. I'm seeking Christ. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Now, are you getting this? This is a great principle about giving. You get blessed. If you're not giving, you're missing out on a spiritual fruit in your life. It's a blessing. And you know what? Many of you could give testimonies to this. Verse 18, indeed, I have all and abound. Their gift really met his needs and then some. Plus, spiritually, he abounded. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things. And by the way, the language here does indicate finances. Some scholars say they think it was all finances that they sent. Some think it was a mixture of finances and maybe some other necessities he needed in jail. Now, don't you love this? Maybe this is the main motivation for giving. He said it was a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You know how they would offer sacrifices to God in the Old Testament, and a lot of times they, uh, they would have these uh, uh, spices and things that would cause a sweet smell to go up in the smoke, and uh, it said that, God was pleased by the aroma, and that's just symbolic of the fact that, that this pleased the Lord. Uh, you know, I don't know how Macy's, the department store, stays in business because they send out so many little booklets and advertisements. We get them almost every day in the mail. And uh, I don't wear cologne. I don't wear perfume. I do put on deodorant and take a shower once a week regardless. But in every one of the, not in every, so many of these Macy's, they can have an advertisement of a cologne or a perfume and, and you have to pull the fold back. I do that. 
I do. You don't need to buy those scent things for your house. Just get your Macy's deal and open those up. It just smells so sweet. I guess sometimes uh, when Marcia comes in, she thinks I'm smelling a little girly because I opened up a perfume one maybe. But there's something about a sweet smell. And you know, it just pleases God when he sees, because he's a God of giving. Look at what he gave. He gave his only son. And we're, we're being Christ-like and God-like when we have big-hearted giving in our life. And look at this. Some think it's a prayer. Most don't. It's a statement. Verse 19, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When you give, it is a promise throughout Scripture, God will give back to you. He may not meet your greeds, but he will meet your needs. And it brings glory to God, the last verse. Now to God and Father, our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? We've learned by now that it's no accident when we come to church and we hear a message, whether it be in the worship hour, the Sunday school hour, God is so sovereign and so ruling over all things and causing all things to work together for good that he has a message for us at church. And so the question I would ask today is this, is your bill full, is your purse, is your checkbook baptized? Have you thought much? Have you prayed much about giving? Oh, listen, there's just no way to get around it. Some preachers say that Jesus gave more illustrations involving money. And he certainly wasn't a lover of money. He said, he, he said it could be the root of all evil if you love it, but... As Jeff preached a month or so ago, where your heart is or where your treasure is, there will be your heart. And so Jesus taught that, but the Bible has a lot to say about money because it's a, it's a thermostat telling us about how we are in our heart. Father, I pray during this invitation time today that we would think about this passage, maybe go home this afternoon and throughout this week meditate on this passage. And folks, I didn't tell you this, but the Philippian church as a whole was poor. They didn't have a lot. They didn't have what we have today. So God, please put on our heart to give in a way that's so pleasing to you. We want to please you. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, giving pleases God because He is a God of giving. He gave His only Son, Jesus, to live a sinless life that we failed to live and that will keep us from heaven. And Jesus took our place on the cross. He was judged for our sins so that if we will accept Him as our Savior and Lord, it would be as though we never sinned. And God could accept us into his presence. We could have this wonderful relationship with God. He suddenly becomes our Father in heaven. If you've never received Christ, won't you come today 
let a counselor talk with you, will not embarrass you and talk to you, lead you to receive Christ today. If God is leading you today to move your church letter, God's just telling you, you need to be a part of that church. There's some wonderful churches, a lot of them, but God has a specific church he wants you to join hands with him. This is the church and this is the day you come down and you make that decision, would you? And Lord, we pray it all to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, let's sing.